it's unfortunate that church isn't often connotated or associated with fun and smiles and laughter. Um, I mean, God is holy and we should have great reverence for him, but uh, he is also a God of joy, great joy. And so I wanted to start with the question, do you remember the best party that you've been to recently? I've been to a lot of weddings this summer, and a, a wedding reception is a big party. A rehearsal dinner, party. Been to bachelor parties, you know, like a birthday party, you know. Think of the parties that you've been to, and, you know, try to think of the very best one. What made it good? Friends, conversation, uh, food. Uh, food helps make parties good to me. Uh, some activity, you know, something to watch, maybe a, a, a ball game, some sports, um, something to do together. Uh, just having fun in general. Like, people can have fun a lot of different ways, um, but that's what makes a party really good. And we've been looking at uh, Jesus' friend of sinners, like this phrase, this idea, Jesus is a friend of sinners, out of the Gospel of Luke. It's one of the first books in the New Testament. And, uh, Today, we're going to look at how radical Jesus' friendship with sinners actually is. It's so radical that uh, he leads a party. He throws a heavenly party over repentant sinners. That, that's how radical Jesus' friendship is. He's not obligated to offer or be any of our friends. He, he's not. But he chooses to offer friendship to anybody who wants it. As much friendship as you want. And uh, that, that's what we're going to look at today. So before we jump in, I just want to say, well, why does this matter? Uh, or I want to ask that question. And uh, why this matters is there's more than a, a, a party at stake. There's more than your next hour, your next three hours. Uh, I've never been to a party that lasts all day. I guess my wedding counts for that. Um, that's the one that comes to mind. But why does this matter? Your joy, not just like going to a good party, but your whole life is at stake and not just yours, but the lives of the people around you is at stake in whatever we call good, whatever we want to move towards. Um, th that's what's at stake. So in the midst of even life's challenges, we need to know where the good life truly lies. And I believe that's what Jesus is offering us in our passage today. So uh, let's just jump right in. Um, we'll be covering Luke 15 today, and I want to start by just kind of painting a picture of the setting. These first two verses say this. Uh, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Okay, so two groups. that we, This has been present every time we've looked at this at this idea of Jesus, friend of sinners, there's two groups. One group is the tax collectors who were like, they were the sellouts of first century Jewish society. It's, it's as if we were never uh, liberated or we, we, if we were still under Great Britain's leadership and you worked for the Great Britain IRS and, you know, taxing us, sellout. How can you call yourself an American, right? That's what happened to the Jews. They were under Roman rule. And they had to pay taxes to Rome. The Jews didn't want to be under Roman rule, but they still had to pay taxes. And there were Jewish people taxing other Jews the Roman tax, okay? And so they, they were not liked, let alone that they hiked up the prices. So uh, 
that's the tax collectors. And sinners are just people who like, they look at you and they know, I know who you are because your sin is public. The way that you messed up, you know, the way that you've, yeah, just ruined your life. Like everybody knows you as that person. You're, you're a public sinner. So that's the first group, okay? Tax collectors and sinners. Nobody really likes them. Uh, especially this group, who is the second group. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are the religious leaders. They have all the power. They have authority. They have influence. People look at them as, oh, they're so close to God. They're, they're incredible people. Um, and, and these people were the ones that accused Jesus being a friend of sinners. And they're like, how can he be the Messiah if he's so friendly, if he's so open to people like them. So there's these two groups, okay? That's the setting. And today, uh, we're going to see that Jesus invites them all to this incredible party. He invites even the Pharisees and the tax collectors, even them, invited into this, this heavenly party. So he's, 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 he's going to tell us about this party using three stories, parables or stories with a point. So here's the first story beginning in verse 3. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So he's saying one sinner who knows that he has fallen short of perfection, like all of us have, but who, who turns, who changes his mind from, I'm going to quit living life my way and I'm going to change my mind to live life God's way. You change your mind and you change your life. Then heaven rejoices over that. Heaven rejoices over that sinner who repents rather than 99 people who say, I'm good enough the way that I am. Like, I'm going to keep living the way that I want to live, disregarding God and his ways. So the point of this story, you're going to hear this a lot today. Point of this story is that heaven rejoices over repentance. Heaven throws a party. Heaven rejoices over repentance. And to repent, again, is simply to change your mind from your way of thinking to God's way, from your way of living to God's way. Repentance doesn't require perfection. It requires change, ongoing change. Jesus continues telling a second story. Verse 8, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds that lost coin. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Again, this, this image of a party being thrown. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so the main point, heaven rejoices over repentance. And I just, I just got to point out here, uh, I lose things sometimes. You probably do too, like my keys, my wallet. Um, but I never, never search for something that I lose unless it's valuable to me. Who searches for trash? 
Oh, I wonder where I put that old wrapper, that plastic. You only search for what's valuable to you, and Christ is searching out every single one of us because we're incredibly valuable to him. And so heaven rejoices over repentance because of the value that God has given us. The third story is a little bit longer, so buckle up. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically, give me what I would have as, if you, as though you were dead. Give, give me my portion of your will. So the father divided his property between the two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got all of his stuff together and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything he had, there was a severe famine in that country, so he was really in need. And that son, that younger son, went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who, who sent him to his fields, and the, the younger son was now feeding pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up with this plan in mind and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't even get to the servant part. Let me be one of your servants. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on my boy. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Again, throwing a party. Meanwhile, the older son, was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called to one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? The servant said, your brother's come back, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's, he has him back now, safe and sound. And the older brother became angry, refused to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with the older brother, but the older brother said to, said to dad, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you working hard, never disobeying your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could have a party with my friends. But then this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Can you guess the point of this story? Heaven rejoices over repentance. And it's clear that our Heavenly Father is the one who leads the party. There's a contrast here between the two brothers I'm sure you picked up on. And the contrast is there's one who thought, I, I deserve this. I deserve to be celebrated. I deserve... Uh, to be loved, and then there's the other one who uh, doesn't deserve it, 
The older brother was indignant at the thought of celebrating someone who had done so much wrong, so little good. And this contrast just shows us that no matter who you are, you're a sinner. Because the story is left hanging with what's the older brother going to do? Is he going to go in the party or not? He was bitter. He was proud. He was self-righteous. He also was a sinner. And that's the point of Jesus ending with this story. He's uniting these two groups together. These public sinners, you know, people far from God in the first century. With these people who, you know, think that they're better than everyone else. Jesus is saying, look. All have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. But here's the good news. You being a sinner, me being a sinner, that does not have to define us. That does not have to be the mark, the sole and defining mark on our lives. What can define each of us is being a friend of Jesus. Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And it's possible to be Jesus' friend because he is the perfectly good one. And heaven has celebrated him from eternity past to eternity future. Heaven does throw a party over us when we repent, but it's only because there's a party that's already going on. An awesome party. A party that doesn't depend on us. And the center of this incredible heavenly party came down as a man fully God, fully man, because he so valued you. He sought you out. He gave up his own life so that you could have life with him. And he raised, he, his life was raised back to life so that you're not just a friend of a dead person. You're a friend of a real living person, Jesus Christ. And he celebrated you. It's easy for me to hear all these stories and be like, yes, God loves the lost. He loves those who are far from him. And that's totally true. But he celebrated you the first time that you came to know him and he celebrated you the second time that you repented and the third and the fourth and the 3,000th time that you've repented, heaven celebrates over your repentance. God takes great delight in his children. So it's not just a one-time thing. The first time that you come to follow Jesus, it is significant. That's, it's incredible. But repentance is a lifestyle. And Martin Luther, 500 years ago, he wrote the 95 Thesis uh, on the, and posted it to door of the Catholic Church. Very first thing on the 95 Thesis said this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he meant the whole life of believers is to be one of repentance. It's not just one thing that we do but it's our whole life. We get to live in a delightful friendship with Jesus. That's what we're being invi invited into. And at least for me, I'll just speak for myself, it's so easy to, th to think, yeah, I came to know Jesus a long time ago and uh, you know, heaven rejoiced over that and now we gotta work to bring others in. And absolutely, but what are we bringing them into? It's a friendship of delight where God delights over us as we continue to repent and be changed more and more into his character. So let's talk about two specific points of application. Uh, one is confess sin regularly. This is what we're inviting people into, right? We have to live what we're inviting others into. 
As we confess sin, we get to experience the pleasure of the Father. It's not fun to confess sin, and we don't sin on purpose, of course. But we get to experience the pleasure of the Father. Because you're only adopted into a family once. You only join a family once. But that doesn't mean that you can't run into your daddy's arms just once, right? And that's what we're invited into when we confess sin to God and to each other on a regular basis. And you don't have to come up to me if you don't know me and confess your sin. Uh, Talk to someone you know and trust who's walking with Jesus. And the second point of application is uh, talking with God about those who are far from him. Um, Talking with God about those around you and pursuing those people. Not because you're supposed to, not because it's the right thing to do, because you're increasingly valuing the things that he values. You know that the good life is only found in relationship to Jesus. And you want other people to have the truly best life that's available. So it, it kind of boils down to this. Uh, do you want your life to be marked by pity or to be marked by party? Uh, you could stay in the far off distant country eating the slop or you could stay with your arms folded refusing to go into the party. Um, it's, it's really our choice. So let's spend some time now praying and practicing this. I, I want to give you a, a quiet time to talk with God, to confess sin specifically, and also to uh, pray for the people around you who are far from God. So let's pray. Talk to God about uh, ways that you've been uh, off the mark this week. Thank you, Father, for delighting in us and uh, welcoming us with open arms. You're not surprised (laughs) um, by how messed up we are. And Father, we also, uh, we want to have a heart like yours, a heart that rejoices when... uh, when people repent, that, that celebrates that. So, God, we, we want to talk to you now about uh, specific people in our lives uh, who, who we love and we want what's best for them. We want them to, to know you, to, to see you for who you really are, Jesus, um, and not, uh, yeah, the misrepresentations that... <laughs> I've been guilty of.
ask God how, how you can pursue them and what that looks like in your life. Thank you for being a God who is near to us, near to the brokenhearted. And you show yourself to the humble. We want to draw near to you right now, Heavenly Father.